Really True Fiction is a podcast exploring famous stories to discover the wisdoms, lessons, insights, and ideas therein. Be advised that there will be heavy spoilers for whatever story we are discussing in this episode, as well as potential spoilers for other stories. Check episode notes or social media posts for additional spoilers. Please note that this podcast contains so many bad words and so many crude observations. If this is not your jam, please don't bring the toast. another episode of really true fiction my name is luke mason and my name is david parker david i have a question for you <laughs> okay i wanted to know do you exist on purpose oh <laughs> on purpose do you exist so you're on asking purpose. Is there is a an intelligence behind everything that is guiding my i'm letting you my telos do i exist on purpose? i'm letting you go anywhere your mind goes the answer it, to that question though perhaps not what you're looking for is i don't know <laughs> And I think it's impossible for me to know. What did you think I was looking for? I don't know what you were looking for. <laughs> Maybe something more philosophic. I think I don't know is a good answer. Yeah, I <laughs> definitely don't. <laughs> well, actually, I love that answer because of the humility of it. Uh, maybe I'm splitting a hair here, but at least in the context of Rick and Morty, I think Morty's no one exists on purpose and I don't know why I exist are almost the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, M- Morty's got a rough go of it. He's kind of getting <laughs> slapped in the face by reality on a, on a <laughs> episode by episode basis. Yeah. And I mean, obviously that's a huge part to dig into and we'll dig into it a bit later, but I just thought it was funny. It's like, wow, I'll just give him a... You know, you're used to all these silly ones I do. Maybe I'll give True. you a, give me a real existential one. Yeah. one right off the bat. <laughs> do you but exist uh, on purpose? I think that's very much in the spirit of Rick and Morty. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, a, they just, a thunderbolt they... <laughs> of deepness out of nowhere. Just asking the big questions. Yeah. So today we are doing our second part, part two of our Rick and Morty. And I feel a special... I feel like this one's special because of how much they talk about poop in the show. <laughs> I was thinking about that. It's like they talk about shitting and pooping a lot. It's a buttholes, well, pooping, think, and shitting. Are, of, I mean, isn't there a character named Shitty Butthole? Uh, poopy Butthole. Yeah, Mr. Poopy, poopy Butthole. Yeah, Mr. <laughs> and actually, very wholesome. Did you, character. But did you notice that? Like weirdly, how much they talk about poop in you know, the show? I, I think like. In some ways, little <laughs> boys, my, my nephew like thinks farting and pooping is the most hilarious thing in the world. Sure. Maybe they just never lost that love of, of poop. Yeah, I think probably part of it is, I think a, an underrated and awesome part of comedy is contrast. So the, right. con- the contrast between how smart the show clearly is and yet how base they're willing to be. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost time. freeing in a yes. sense, right? Well, it's actually, like... I, I think I've told you to the, I've told you this before. I don't know if I ever told you on some podcast, but I once read a review of David Foster Wallace, and I can't remember the whole review, but the reviewer said David Foster Wallace knew the wisdom of a well-timed low-brow joke. <laughs> yeah, there's no doubt <laughs> and, he was a very intelligent man, and I think Rick and Morty is part of that too. It's like, I mean, maybe part of the show that is difficult to follow becomes a little bit easier to follow when you know that the guys making the show are also people who will make poop jokes yes yeah well like you there's a humility there like you said yeah yeah (laughs) it's like we don't take ourselves too seriously we're pretty serious guys but we don't take ourselves that seriously no 
And I think it's kind of funny too, and, and this is a reason I like the show, how much it makes the characters are not into any specific gender stereotype. Because Summer talks about shitting her pants. That's true. And so does Beth Regularly, just as much yeah. as... Well, is... maybe not as much as Rick, but... I wonder what it is about stereo... Like, I don't know. Maybe I only thought little boys like talking about poop. Maybe everyone likes talking about poop. I work with kids. I can promise you any eight-year-old thinks a fart is funny, <laughs> boy or girl. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we'll talk about that in the next part when we talk more about the show stuff. But I, I really... I was... Like things like that, stupid examples like Summer and Beth talking about shitting just as much as Jerry or Morty or Rick. Well, again, not as much as Rick, but that's not a gender thing. That's a Rick thing. Yeah. <laughs> Is I think just a kind of a subtle nod to parody and equality and girls can be gross too <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> Freedom for all. Exactly. <laughs> and it's a stupid example of a more important principle, I think, yes. that I like. Oh, I like that. So anyway, we're going to talk about Morty, Jerry, and today, because they're the next most important characters after Rick. So if you are curious at all about why we're not really talking about Rick, although I'm sure he'll come up because his fingerprints are all over the show, that's our part one. So listen to our part one of Rick and Morty for all things Rick. Yes, <laughs> for that. yes. So I have a number of notes on Morty, but I kind of... I don't know. I want you to just free free ball it a bit about your thoughts. Riff on Morty here. Riff on Morty. Tell me what you think. It's interesting because I find that in Rick and Morty, they attempt to give you explanations for things, but then kind of undermine their own explanation a lot. Because the explanation we get for why Morty's even involved in this is because he's actually quite dumb. Right. Like, I, I love that yeah. one episode where he, suddenly he's very smart and he's saying, and he's like <laughs> doing massive amounts of math in mm-hmm. his head. And yeah. the parents are like, oh, yeah, wow, he is learning a lot when he's with Rick. But it turns out that Rick <laughs> just injected him with some serum oh, yes. that's actually going to make him really <laughs> stupid soon for, for quite some time. He won't even be able to control his bodily functions. Yeah, he uses Morty um, the most. And he's essentially like, yeah, you're dumb. You're, you're really dumb. And like the reason that Rick needs Morty is to cancel the brainwaves thing. That so the he can't be caught yes, by other Ricks, was it? Or well, the not government? just other Ricks, but right. it's like the gu- people searching for him. Sure, yeah. Because all Ricks have Mortys, right? Yeah. Yeah, there's that crazy scene of all the Mortys getting slightly hurt <laughs> around yeah. that building, I think, at the end of season one. Yeah. Well, and the thing, like, the, the biggest accusation that we get, well, uh, yeah, because isn't there, but the weird part about that one is it's actually the evil Morty mm-hmm. that's controlling the Rick. Well, that's part of the beauty of the show. Exactly. So we've got, uh, you know, we've got this Rick situation where he always kinds of treats Morty as if he's easily discardable mm-hmm. and he's only being used as some kind of mental fortification against <laughs> the universe. But he really likes Morty and yeah. he cares about him, but not enough to let Morty have his way because the one thing that Rick truly hates is mediocrity. I think the biggest insult that rick ever gives to morty is you're such your father's son yeah right because like as far as rick is concerned jerry is the epitome (laughs) of everything that sucks in the world yeah and in the universe in fact right 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 and so i find morty in that light to be so interesting because he is to a degree consumed by the things that his father's consumed by like he's really in love with this girl and like constantly thinking about how do I like get into her life? And, she, and this, she's at school. Meanwhile, he's traversing the universe, but like that's the thing that he's thinking about. Like that Death Crystals episode, right? Mm. Where he's pointing the crystal at, at everything and taking all his actions so that he can die with Jessica. With Jessica. Yeah. 
And what ends up happening, we find out, well, she was just his caretaking nurse and he was like this old, <laughs> broken human being. Yeah. Like, Morty's a romantic. Yes. Morty is an optimist. Mm-hmm. And probably the funniest thing about Morty is how he holds on to those things despite reality continuously seemingly seeming to prove that he's wrong. Right. Yeah. So so I I actually like that about Morty cuz he's he's not giving up. No. I, there is a resilience. You're right to him. And actually I think he is probably the best character. Not the funniest. The most moral character. He's certainly the most moral, but he's in a show that's episodic, or every adventure is supposedly of its own mm, adventure, right? It's like they're all standalone. There's still character arcs for these people in the show. And I think Morty has probably the best arc of the characters in that he, like especially by season three, and even in into season four of it too, he's ready for what Rick's doing. <laughs> you know? Like at yeah. the beginning, he's not total loser and he's at the whim but he learns and so i like that he's someone who learns what rick is doing and doesn't always agree with it and often (laughs) strongly disagrees with it but he learns from the mistakes he makes and he even learns from rick and i think that that's interesting that morty can have weirdly because he's so immature in so many other areas of his life he has enough maturity to figure out what parts of what rick's doing are worth noticing and being able to do later because I can't remember just one episode, but it's the one where they make Summer so big, yes, <laughs> and then accidentally yes. turn her inside out, and <laughs> the whole time Morty's like to his mom, "No, we need Rick. We can't do it ourselves. Yeah. Like, let's get we can't over fix our, this problem. Let's get over our own egos." So yeah, I don't know. I, I guess um, Morty is a bit of a uh, a world weary optimist. Yeah. I guess would be a nice way to like he's originally he gets very angry at rick for rick's bad decisions but by the time i guess it's the vindicators episode he's just kind of like he's trying to teach me a lesson through all this stuff and okay whatever i know and he's essentially <laughs> saying that to the vindicators he's like this is all about me yeah like. yeah and so there's a weird amount of self-awareness morty garners and again it's confusing because which morty are we talking about because i think a couple of them die yeah or at least one of them does yeah who is the best Morty? The best Morty? I think just the one that they show yeah. normally. Well, he says he. Well, Rick says I'm the Rickiest Rick. Yeah, and so you're the Mortiest, the mortiest Morty. And I think that I, I know I've made this comparison before in the podcast, but probably the biggest reason I love Breaking Bad is Jesse Pinkman's character arc, right? Where he goes from redemption, inept, totally incompetent, stupid, arrogant drug dealer to probably the most moral person on the show except for like walter jr or right, something, right right yeah and to me Mar- morty has that same arc in a minor way where he's you know so much but he grows and he improves and you know world as nihilistic as rick and morty i think that that's like what you should be doing <laughs> you know like that's kind of what i love about it is morty kind of represents this i am going to stay strong in the face of all of these chasms and difficulties and stupidities and on top of all that rick just roasting me all the time instead of like letting it destroy me i'm actually going to learn from it yeah it really doesn't seem to like he doesn't descend into despair 
which you would think he would. Like, if someone, I feel like I couldn't handle that kind of ribbing all the time. And essentially, someone saying, you're just, you're basically an idiot yeah. all the time. Well, and he figures out how to roll with the punches, right? Yeah, he does. And he's, but he, yeah, he's, that's a really good insight. Morty's incredibly resilient, mm-hmm. like on a level that we really need to give him some credit for <laughs> because he's seen some shit. Like, oh, I love that one episode where they both are in, they're both in the flying saucer and they're like, <gasps> yeah, <laughs> why do we do these things? Do yeah, they yeah. just start yeah, weeping? Exactly, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's funny too. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't know. The contrast is good too, comedically, where he's got that whiny voices cracking all the time, but he's the one who starts, kind of like telling the truth to his parents and and summer and other people around about being tougher yeah <laughs> you know yeah, and about well like when he goes to summer and yeah. he's like the universe doesn't give a shit about you nothing matters yeah <laughs> well actually that was oh yeah why next, don't you read that yeah that, so to me i was debating whether or not to talk about this when we talk about the show ethos or about morty because Morty says it, but it's kind of more, it's also part of the ethos of the show, but because it stands out to me in the show so much, and Morty says it, I feel like it's good to give it to his character, because I think it's part of his growth. So it's in the first season, I think it's episode eight, anyway, it's the one where they have interdimensional cable, and I believe that's the episode where Summer, Beth, and Jerry are trying to see their alternate selves (laughs) all the time, and Summer's like having an existential breakdown, basically. Right. And so Morty comes up to her, and he says, nobody exists on purpose, nobody's supposed to be anywhere, and we're all going to die. Come watch TV. <laughs> <laughs> and so I wanted to make this like a little bit more solid of a point, is that that sentiment from Rick and Morty, which I think is very present throughout the show, is actually, I would make the comparison to that, to the myth of Sisyphus. Yeah, pushing the old rock pushing up the, the hill and then yeah, just roll so it back down. For anyone who's not familiar, the myth of Sisyphus comes from ancient Greece, and I believe Sisyphus was a titan, but he was like a he was either a liar or a jokester. I think he was a jokester, so uh, Zeus got mad at him or the gods got mad at him, and they destined him to roll a boulder up a hill, always to have it roll back down, and he has to walk back down the hill and push it back up. And so the idea being he's doomed for eternity for a, a job that is meaningless <laughs> basically right. because the boulder always returns to where it is but he always has to exert effort to bring it back up the hill only to watch it roll back so anyway this story was used as a thought experiment by the 20th century philosopher albert camus the french philosopher about kind of the modern state of humans in the absurd world and the absurd world being essentially that we have brains that crave meaning in a universe that seems to be the void and not interested in our <laughs> desires yes. for meaning. Yeah. And so he says, the modern person is Sisyphus, rolling the boulder up the hill, watching it roll down. And he says, but when Sisyphus is interesting, not he's not interested when Sisyphus is rolling the boulder up the hill. He's interested what's going through Sisyphus's mind as he's walking back down, when he has the time to think right. about what he's doing, right? So like when we're not engaged in our activities. What, what does what do he we say think we're that uh, Sisyphus thinks about? Well... It's been a while since I've actually read the essay, and it's really good, but my recollection is, I know the gist of it, is that Sisyphus gets the best of the gods if he can find his own meaning in rolling the boulder up the hill. So if he can find an ironic take on why he's doing it, and as it were, not give the gods the pleasure of seeing him suffer through the trials that he has to do, but just doing them for his own reasons kind of thing. Right. And right. doing them with a kind of a, a half 
a small little smirk of ironic self-awareness as he's doing it while he's taking his job seriously and not seriously at the same time. And I make this comparison to this line that Morty says to Summer because I really feel like this is one of the deepest parts of the show that Morty taps into is what to do when you feel like the universe is meaningless. And I think this is something Morty does really well. I feel like he learns about the void (laughs) and Rick is so cynical about it. If he pays it any attention, Rick is cynical. He mostly just doesn't pay attention. But like I would say at first, Morty is pretty startled and thrown for a loop about the idea of multi like what does it do to my identity if there are (laughs) infinite copies of of me me. who are experiencing is maybe like which version of me is uncertain and all this stuff and so when he says this to summer i personally i get a a sense of this is kind of the maturing moment yes uh, of a a feeling of like okay this is morty's sisyphus moment where he's becoming ironically self-aware about the situation of life that he's in and still choosing to do stuff he wants to do anyway you know yes and i um i don't have any idea if the creators of the show have read Camus or know about the myth of sisyphus my bet would be they would with all of the smart cultural references they throw in it but that was my interesting like okay a morty is kind of the sisyphus of the show He's, yeah, he's trying to find meaning in these adventures that really even Rick isn't to the same degree trying to find meaning. Well, in. and and it's even I'd even say it's a step beyond that where Morty knows that even Rick, who is at the pinnacle, let's say, or the edge of doing the most in the universe or, you know, universe's smartest person, he has the most capacity to do stuff. Yet even Rick bumps up against the void because the void doesn't even care about him, right? Well, and so, the, like, and the void seems to, <laughs> let's be honest, affect Rick more than it does mm-hmm. Morty. Yeah. Now that might be an age thing, right? right? Like Morty's still young, as mm-hmm. far as we can tell. He hasn't had sex with anyone except for a robot. Like, and there's his a hands. lot in his hands. There's a lot of uh, <laughs> you know adventure out there for him to be had, and so there's a lot of hope and potential, I think. But when you're Rick, you're old. You've seen it all. You've had love. Love yeah. has been lost. And you're right. When Rick bumps up against the void, he's sad. And he drinks. Or he's, dr- yeah. he's drunk and sad. Uh, or he rages or, or he cries, right? But what I like about Morty is when he bumps up against the void, like the first few times where I think he started to realize that like it's hard for him, but he matures quickly with it and learns how to still find meaning in his days with doing his best to not lie to himself about the nature of his situation. Yeah, he's so, not pretending. Right? Kind of thing. Yeah. Same like Sisyphus. Sisyphus, Camus interprets Sisyphus as really interesting when he walks down the hill, not because he thinks he's doing something important when he's rolling the boulder up the hill, but knowing that he's clearly not doing something important, but choosing to do it anyway. Well, that's the interesting thing about Sisyphus, if we dig into this a little bit, like the curse is that he has to keep doing this over and over again. And obviously, as with all great Greek myths, there's a lot of depth to this and, yeah. and insight. But why, like, if the gods don't exist, why do you keep pushing the boulder? Well, in the modern context, or let's say the Rick and Morty context, the gods, so the, the, the representation of the gods from the myth would be kind of, I think, my, my interpretation of it would be something like our psychological need to do stuff. Right, like our psychological need to find meaning in our activities and our relationships and in our existence. 
right? To, meaning in existence is a very kind of <laughs> fundamental existential claim. Yeah, 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 and especially yeah. the French existentialists, right? And Camus is is very clear like Camus was a very strong atheist and he was saying like look we are screaming at a universe that doesn't care and yet we can't help but scream in one sense right scream is being like notice me (laughs) notice my endeavor he's like so in the modern context or the Morty context I would say it's when Morty or someone can realize that even if this, this is the key point that even if the universe is meaningless we have to figure out how to spend our time doing stuff that we find meaningful. So in a sense, Sisyphus finds meaning in his own boulder pushing and his own ironic take on it. And Morty finds meaning in watching TV with Rick and Summer, right? And going on adventures. And he even knows, and and he makes it explicit when he says, no one exists on purpose. No one's supposed to be anywhere. That's his like not unclear nod to, I think, the absurd and the void and the meaninglessness yes. in, in an existential yeah. sense. And yet we're here. Let's figure out something to do to pass the time with each other in a way that we can have a half smirk, ironic take on it and then take it seriously. Right. Right. And I think well, you I have to, to take it ironically. It's like you said before, yeah, you have exactly. to laugh at something yeah. before you can take it seriously. And I, and I think this is a theme throughout the show, right? It, it pops up almost everywhere, but it's most explicit in this part where Morty talks about it, and it becomes most explicit, I think, in Morty's character. Yes. Right? Yes. So. Well, because he's almost... Morty's us in this show, right? Yes. I think yeah. that's the point, yeah. is he's, he's supposed to be the one that we're like, oh, that's us. Mm. Except some of us don't want to be like him. <laughs> but like the general public, when they watch this show, it's like, this is absurd, mm-hmm. right? And And that, I think, is what... We're supposed to be learning with Morty. Yeah. And it's because he has growth, right? Like at the be- at the first few episodes, from my recollection, like he is flabbergasted by Rick. Yes. <laughs> right. He, yeah. he he does have the reaction. Oh geez, to- Rick. <laughs> he does have the reaction that Jerry always has. <laughs> and Summer and Beth have a lot of time to and people around. But as Jerry continues to react with like flabbergastation, <laughs> if that's the term, to Rick. Morty's like, oh, dad, come on. This is just what Rick does. Like, he adapts, right? So Morty is adaptable to the universe. He's not trying to change reality to Mm -hmm. fit his paradigm. Yes. Well, this is why, and I'm sure we'll get to this when we're talking about Jerry, but this is why I think the episode with the simulation is is one of the most insightful for the, the entire series. Because... Rick is so far beyond the simulation that he can figure out he's in a simulation at any level of the simulation. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Right. Whereas Jerry so badly wants the world to fit into his tiny myopic little head that he would pref- like his best day of his life <laughs> into the simulation. Is right. In this, yeah. in this watered down simulation where essentially no one else's feelings matter or interacts with him. Like, yeah, there's yeah, that yeah. moment where he's having sex with Beth in the simulation and he's like that's the best sex we've ever had and she's not even engaging in it right yeah but the reason i say that is i feel like morty is someone who despite a lack of individual talent and i don't think he's a very talented person (laughs) right is able to learn from experience which i think is is incredibly important because Mm -hmm. well this is an idea that i've thought a lot about is the lust and longing for genius and the envy that that can create Right where it's like, well, celebrity culture is really 
an attempt to celebrate genius. Yeah, something right? Just, something better than us, amazing. Better, something exactly. that we can be impressed by. Something transcendent almost, yeah. right? We're we're obsessed with the anomalies, hmm. the yes. the edge cases, mm-hmm. the outliers. As as oh, uh, have you ever heard of this guy Elon Musk? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I I am obsessed with him too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think we can't all be that. Right. Like, I don't think I can be Elon Musk. I just, I know my brain doesn't process information quickly enough. Mm. Right. But I could be a Morty. Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 Like, I can get better. Yeah. I can improve and I can learn instead of, instead of being caught in the myopic world of Jerry. Mm-hmm. And because I can't be Rick. Right. Maybe I can be a Morty. Well, I think that what's super important about that, because that's a good point. Like, that's a really good insight is that you don't have to be the Elon Musk's or the super geniuses to get meaning out of life. Like you can get deep meaning. And I think what is important about Morty is that he doesn't lie to himself about his situation. Yeah, he doesn't pretend he's he doesn't a Rick. Pretend, and he takes that as fodder to actually learn from his experiences as opposed to just hate them or rage against them or be cynical about them or just dismissive in ways that Rick is. But I'm trying to think also like, and, and, and I think why that's important is that from the first person perspective, which is kind of what you're talking about, that is actually something that can give Morty so much more peace of mind. Because you'll notice Morty seems a lot more at peace as the show goes on. And, yeah, and he stresses less. Yeah, He's and it's, just like, oh, here we go again. And it's funny, the episodes, and it, I mean, Jessica is maybe his kryptonite in that, in that you brought up the episode where him dying with Jessica made him change and basically become a villain. Yeah, well, yeah, he <laughs> like, takes over the world and just yeah. kills a whole bunch of people. I'm sure there's yeah. a metaphor there somewhere. <laughs> but <laughs> I guess it, it's just a supposition where Morty would be more at peace when he does that Sisyphusian discovery, right? And we reach the edges of language where we're talking about like, well, is the void a metaphysical thing? Is the universe metaphysically meaningless? Like, I I don't think those are very good questions just because there's no way to know one way or the other. Like, there's just, it's, they're they're almost questions designed to not have an answer. Yes. (laughs) You know? And that's kind of the point of them. And I guess my just, disposition is i'd like or to have of, an answer that is unprovable yeah, in the yeah sense or of, ineffable or yeah, something right yeah so is sisyphus really destined to roll the boulder up the hill like again the psychological importance of these stories are the point of them way more than like well what do you mean by meaninglessness or meaningful it's like i you, you can get as best as you can do you give a normative definition of your words yeah <laughs> if it comes down to that yeah. and then i think that that passes for most people's lives again why i like this show is that it, it stretches me right to the edges of my capacities to try to explain what i feel like i'm ingesting through it but just morty's better sense of being able to be at peace with the <laughs> like craziness of his life because his life is so fucking crazy, hey? His, like his if you grandpa think, turns himself into a pickle. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> like, and just, like, he warps through dimensions all the time, and there's infinite... Co- like, this would be a mind fuck for anybody. And he's 15 or 14, right? Yeah. Like, and yet... And I think it's that letting go, that we're not here on purpose. We're not supposed to exist, but that's okay. We're here, so let's... We're not here on purpose. I, I, I sum it like this. We're not here on purpose, but we are here. Yeah. So let's do right. something with that. Right. Let's <laughs> let's see what we can do. Yeah. I don't know. Like it's a kind of a, it's like Morty's team shell moment. I think. I feel 
yeah. in the Rick and Morty Yeah, universe, I, I agree. It's you know? like, thou mayest, yeah. right? Okay, yeah. well, yeah. you know, you don't must do anything, but... And if you think about the context of why he's saying that to Summer, Summer is so mentally distraught over, if I'm remembering this right, which I think I am, for sure me- me- Summer is mentally distraught. I think she's mentally distraught because she's on edge by thinking that all of her alternative selves are having better times or better lives. Or I think some things. of them don't exist, right? Because yeah. it's like all the, the whole... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's the episode where they're viewing themselves mm-hmm. through... Yeah. They're viewing alternate realities of themselves. Yeah. And we see, you know, Beth and Jerry... Right. ...are always there, mm-hmm. but she's only there in some universes because most universes beth and jerry don't get together because <laughs> yeah, they're well, not because really compatible <laughs> yeah. uh and that really bothers her and she feels so reliant on yeah. other people for her existence mm-hmm. it's like well so basically summer's problem in that moment is that she is so mentally beat up by thinking about something that she has no control over. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. <laughs> she has, like, again, bracketing off what Rick could do for Summer in the confines of the show. Yeah, probably Rick could make some contraption that makes Summer be in control of this. But if we're going to take it, like, as a real-life thing, Morty is trying to help his sister realize that the things that she can't control will only drive her crazy. And there's still a whole other vista of things that she can do, which is spend time with her family, who she does like to be around. And that actually will make her happy. Like, that will be what? It's it's like a very freeing thing. It's like the things you actually can control are the things that, if done right, will make you feel good. Yeah. <laughs> will bring you well, but, a sense of meaning. Bring you a sense of meaning, and, yeah. And purpose and fulfillment in a sense. That, and I mean, like, I, it's a great, I mean, again, Shakespeare, like, sickly door with the pale cast of thought. <laughs> you know, like, Summer is taking that sentiment to an extreme in this episode. I just love that it's Morty, who at this point is the one this who is good. I'm talks liking, her down from I'm that. I'm liking where you're at on this because I think this is changing my perspective on Morty a lot. Ooh, okay. Um, because now I'm seeing a lot more strength in Morty, right? And existential strength, right? Because... What he's facing, which is on a daily basis, very vital, would ru- ruin a weaker individual, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, it, it does a number on Summer. It does a number on Beth. Remember when she thinks she's a clone? Yeah, and like he's like, well, Jerry's almost too dumb and too weak to figure out that it should ruin him. Yeah, well, I think he <laughs> so, no, he's too myopic. Like, yeah. I really do yeah, believe yeah, that. Yeah. Is that the issue with Jerry? Is that his individual emotions and we see this in the episode where he's dating the the alien right mm, with, with yeah. three breasts and, and <laughs> yeah. all that do you see she has three of them <laughs> you know what else she has three of <laughs> we're soul bonded <laughs> <laughs> we see this because he can't even break up with her without blaming someone else because he doesn't want her to be mad at him and he causes all of this turmoil and strife because he's so consumed by himself mm-hmm. that he that he can't Take some responsibility. Really, frankly, that's the, that's his yeah, yeah, issue, yeah. and he doesn't want to take responsibility because he doesn't want to suffer consequences because he's a weak, myopic little person, right? And he's a coward. Yeah. And I think that's the criticism that Rick makes against him. The, yeah. the criticism isn't actually that he's somehow less for wanting a normal life. Mm-hmm. It's and that he can't even take responsibility. He he's mushy and. What's important, I think, in this context is that that's what Morty could become, but doesn't because he chooses not to. Yeah, he could easily be that. <laughs> you know? He, because he isn't that smart. And because no. he, he, do- and he, and we see this tendency 
in Morty a lot mm-hmm. to want to be consumed by his own emotions about things. Yeah. But Rick is constantly showing him, hey, that emotion that you're having, yeah. If let's let's play it out. Let's let's see what happens. You know, if <laughs> Jessica does fall in madly in love with you, yeah. you're not gonna like it. Yeah, and I think that um what you said earlier really resonates with me too is is that not everyone is going to have the genius or talent of the upper echelon but what i think is so cool about morty is that he he doesn't need to be that upper echelon talent he just needs to have that existential strength that you know, and i think like a a moral strength and i think the nice thing about that compared to say innate talents or, mm-hmm. or or even innate discipline that allows you to, to develop certain talents. The nice thing about the existential strength yeah. is I think almost anyone can do it. Mm-hmm. I think, exactly. I think that's the great path. That's the that's the, the Tao. That's the way yeah. that has been talked about for so long is it's you may not be great. Right. But you can be good. But you and You'll notice, yeah, that's such a good East of Eden tie in there. Because of this, I think, development of Morty's character, Morty is, well, Summer too, but Morty most is actually the person that Rick ends up trusting and taking on adventures. And it'd be hard for say that Rick respects Morty, but as close as Rick could respect someone, it's Morty. I mean, he loves Beth, his daughter, and he loves Summer, but I think... I think even Rick in his own way is kind of impressed with Morty. And that's important too in all of this is that it's that existential strength that can be done by anyone, even if you're not going to be the top leader of something, is worthy of respect of people who might be your betters, right? And I think people do respect it, right? Like I, I do think, too. I really do. I think when people see someone coming from a place potentially of, of less advantage dare I say privilege <laughs> and um yeah, you dare <laughs> and toughing it out mm-hmm. mentally and like pushing themselves through and not being negative about it all the time or depressed there's a quality in that that is not lost on people yeah exactly I do think though that we should talk about what I see as Morty's great weakness in the show and that is Jessica Yes, um, I would like. Yeah, this yeah, is gonna be because good. it's true. I think that he does. I think it was Aladdin. Yeah, it definitely was Aladdin, where we talked about kind of like the difference between infatuation and love, and why <laughs> one is good and one isn't. You know, I feel like Morty's. I mean, he's fifteen, so it's understandable. But he has this one line in season one where he's. I think he's talking to his dad yeah he's like you're missing the point dad i don't want girls i want jessica and i i have to say like i i have a lot of grace for morty in this moment because i felt that a lot it's like again well, especially I, as a 14 15 yeah we've talked old. about yeah. this before like the destiny of love right like she's the one i like so she's the one i'm destined to be with and my poor heart can't take it if that's not the case you know yeah, yeah. and of top five greatest maturings of my life has been to let go of crushes, to let go of, to mentally and emotionally let go of a girl I like. If it's just not, it's not going to work out or there's just, for one reason or another, it's not, she's not interested, right? Like I can get over that a lot quicker now. <laughs> and part Are of you, that's growing up. So, I'm But gonna, I think part of it is the lessons I learned through growing up. 
because I feel like this is the one area of growth that I mean, because it's season four where the episode happens where he's following that crystal on his head to be yeah. with Jessica. So he he hasn't given up that goal, and I mean, I guess that makes him a little bit more realistic, you know. Well, he's definitely yeah. I mean, I, mean, I don't show. know how long the time period is supposed to be over these four seasons, but it doesn't seem like it's years. Like, no, he's not that much. Maybe older. like a year or two years. Yeah. And okay, so I want to riff on this a little bit because I think. And also, you know, props to Eric Weinstein for getting riff into my vocabulary. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a good word. I think that the issue that Morty faces, and I think the issue that people face when they get infatuated, is that if you are looking to another person to give you a sense of validation and value, then that kind of infatuation is going to become obsessive. Because they're going to be the thing that gives you meaning and purpose. And I guess the argument for not doing that, the the way to live better and why this weakness is a weakness, is those people are always going to let you down. Mm -hmm. Just like you will let down others. Right, yeah. And that's why people become disillusioned with reality is because they're like, well, you know everyone sucks, people are awful, what's wrong with the world? And in reality, they're just having the wrong expectations yeah, from then, reality. Which bleeds into a shitty attitude about things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It And it all, I think, comes down to wanting something from others and maybe from the universe itself that it just can't give. And really, the, the hard work of maturing and the hard work of maturity, like you were discussing earlier... Mm is coming to the realization that it's kind of on you. Yeah. You're responsible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's a few sides to this where it's like the internal part of Morty needing to figure out why he likes Jessica, why she's the only one he wants. And again, I get it because I was there. I was infatuated with girls for basically until I was like 25, (laughs) I think. You would fall into these infatuations. Yeah. 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 And uh, I'm sure you're still... Into girls. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, yeah. I mean, I, I still am attracted to women. And the companionship of a woman is about as good as it gets in life, I think. Yeah, I agree. It's one of the best yeah. things in life for someone like me. <laughs> However, I would make it a pedestal. And you'll notice in the show, what's Morty getting out of his feelings? Every time he tries to talk to Jessica, he just stumbles over his words. He sounds like an idiot. There's nothing he's doing... There's nothing he seems to be involved in that would make Jessica like him. Well, there's even, but there's moments where Jessica's like full on offering to hang out with him to be a real person. And like, yeah. this is why, <laughs> yeah, this true. is the yeah, genius yeah, yeah, of yeah, this show. Point. She's like, yeah. want to go skinny dipping? He's like, uh, maybe later. <laughs> yeah, because the, the gem is on his head. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's just so great. It's like, oh, I can't do the great thing with you now in case it jeopardizes the maybe thing I'm thinking about in the future. Well, <laughs> this is like, this is a great insight and reflection on the problems with infatuation because the real things right there right the real opportunity as you pointed out to have something that like this is the problem with this futuristic thinking of thinking about the future too much right if you're obsessing about what is my future going to be you're going to miss the whole damn present yeah and i think probably in real life a more likely scenario is that there to just be somebody else yeah who like could be but you're so focused on this one person you don't even have time to notice the other person i think i think it was the office phyllis said to dwight no maybe andy anyway she says 
we all deserve someone who wants to be with us. And in that episode, I think <laughs> Jessica only kind of is interested in Morty because he's a, being coming a bit of a jerk. Well, also like <laughs> some kind of godlike yeah, powers yeah, or something. Exactly, yeah. right? So it's not exactly the things about Morty that at his most rational moment he would want her to like about him. You know, because he knows that the things that he's doing in that episode aren't good. So he would, if that's what Jessica likes, she's liking the wrong thing about him. And the thing is, I don't know if I'm totally over this, even in my own head. I just feel like I've gotten a lot better at it. But I think that someone like Morty would just be way more at peace. And (laughs) if he realized, oh, okay, she's not interested in me, so I'm going to move on. Yeah, you know, like I'm going to get on with my life. I'm going to keep doing this other cool stuff. And I get it. Like it's kind of part of the curse of youth is these super deep feelings that once they attach and latch onto something that they're like the, you know, octopus tentacles. You just can't let go of the thing that you have built up so much in your mind. And probably because it's relationship and romantic relationship and the eros based relationship of human life like that takes up such a huge part of the brain and and the desire and the drives well that we, as it we makes talked sense about, that it's the one that he has the, the hardest time it's the getting it's a probably the on. most crippling for most people mm-hmm, and i think yeah. either that radical romanticism or some perversion of that based on life experience is one of the most driving forces in human existence. We've talked about this right. ad nauseum about mm-hmm. its biology, like the, the biological realities of it. But but frankly, most people are consumed by this. Yeah. Even when they're in relationships, mm-hmm. even when they're in marriages, even when they have companionship. The number of people I talk to where getting this right is really, really hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's not getting it right because it's, maintaining it right yeah it's this is this is not a this is not a house you build and live in this Mm -hmm. is a garden that you grow and harvest and grow and harvest this is cyclical yeah well i mean i can't remember who said it either but um uh some guy on the internet who's you know someone on youtube or some professor or something it's like my job is to get my wife to fall in love with me every day yeah (laughs) like to be to be the kind of man that made her Love in love with you in the first time. And if I don't want to do that, I have to think about why that's the case. So, again, people get into lulls. Uh, Now we're talking about people in relationships, not (laughs) pining for them. But, you know, they're related. Morty, I think, it's, again, like I'm fascinated with opportunity costs. Like, what is Morty not able to spend his time on because he's pining after Jessica, who doesn't really seem to be interested in him at all? And, I mean, she's like a couple years older, it seems like, in the the show. I mean, I don't know what your memory is, but there weren't a lot of grade 10 or 11 girls interested in grade 8 or 9 boys. I feel like until men get to 30, <laughs> women just aren't that interested in them, period. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's a, a personal bias, probably. Yes. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Uh... Well, I guess I'm waiting for 30. But... <laughs> uh, joke is, I am past that age already. <laughs> I think probably our, our what we're talking about is pretty obvious in this realm. It's just um, if we're going to give the most intelligent motive to the showrunners it's they realize that the romantic and obsession is probably the hardest growth to do you know yeah like i i would say it is like i look at the world and people i know and people adults who are in relationships and i think the poison of a title 
shows itself in romantic relationships more than anywhere else. Yeah. Where it's, yeah. oh, we're together, so <laughs> we're together. And these are the r- unspoken rules right. and what it means to Whereas, be together. Whereas, yeah. again, like I know the vice and virtue of a breath in every moment, so does love, you know? Yeah. And, and yeah. I think that people need little bits of love every day if it's going to be real over time. Yeah. It could be something as simple as just a, you look nice today, or, oh, I know you have that big meeting today. I hope it goes well for you. Just the little things, not, <laughs> like, though, like it's not, because that's the thing, Morty doesn't, I, I don't remember any part of the show, where Morty really figures out something Jessica likes, and then tries to engage her on that front. <laughs> Jessica <laughs> right? is an empty shell of a character. We're, so the, yeah. What I mean by that is, mm. they don't develop her because... Yeah. They're trying to tell us something. Yeah, the whole point is that it's Morty's fantasy, yeah. which lets him down inevitably. Yes. Right? Yes. But, like, for the sake of Jessica, we'll assume she has a rich inner life. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> and, I ask you and, most people, and, yeah. And has interests. But Morty doesn't seem to care about that. He just seems to want to be with her. And I think that that's a really good part of the show because it shows his weakness. I guess, right? I, yeah. I said his kryptonite was Jessica. <laughs> yeah, and that's I like that. Yeah. All right. Oh, okay. Here's a line. I've thought about this a bit, and it's perhaps a little bit of a paradox or self-defeating because our entire podcast is based around stories. <laughs> okay, yep. But he's got a line. If this was a story, this part wouldn't be included because it's boring. And I think, I can't remember, I think it was maybe maybe Hitchcock, some famous old director said, stories are just real life with all the boring bits taken out and i understand that and i get it as a motif or as it's like better drama or better narrative if you take the boring parts out but i think that it's that's actually what tricks people into thinking there's something real life about movies well and probably let's take this to the social media for a moment mm-hmm. like they say you know the, the reason everyone's depressed is they're comparing their reality to yeah. everyone else's highlight yeah, yeah, reels yeah. right well and I, so i actually have a, a memory and this is weird this is really weird maybe it's not i don't know maybe it's not weird at all i think i was about seven or eight and i was hanging out in the backyard of my house i was just playing i just remember having this she's like wow real life is not like movies <laughs> like just the real yeah, lived yeah. experience is not like a story and so here's and again i love stories our entire podcast is built around stories so i think we, they're important. yeah we love stories like anything if you invest in something too much it becomes a vice again and i think i brought up william i've brought up william james a few times so one of his best ideas that i love is this idea of radical empiricism which is that if you're going to take seriously that experience matters, you have to take every single element. And that it would include the boring parts. And so I think stories trick people into thinking that the boring parts don't matter. And I'm saying, actually, the boring parts matter just as much as the exciting parts. And actually, it's the boring parts that probably let you lay foundations for well, <laughs> yes. exciting parts, that, I, right? I mean, I, that's a really good point. And maybe a point that needs to be, I'm going to try to double down on it. Okay. Because... So often we see the boring periods of our life as just waiting places. Yeah. But they can be development periods. Exactly. That that can be the yes. montage, right? That can be the the rocky, you know, training <laughs> montage. We're gonna need a montage. <laughs> like every day 
is the opportunity to prepare for the rare moments yeah. where you can shine. Exactly. And I think too often, at least I, okay, I'm going to say from my perspective, too often in my life, I've been obsessed with the highlight reel when I could have been preparing for right. the next moment. Yeah, and yeah, and yeah. that sets you back. And it also will inevitably disappoint you because you will not be prepared when that moment comes. And then that's what's going to be stressful. Yeah, Like being a master of something means that you fail at it a lot. And you fail at it over and over and over again until you f- figure out how not to fail at it. But if you haven't failed and you get put in a I know this for a fact, from yeah. a personal life fact. Sure. And then you get put into a situation that you're not prepared for, yeah. the stress will hurt. Mm-hmm. Because you know yeah. that now it's not just imposter syndrome. You're an imposter. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, growing up in the 90s when action films really <laughs> hit yes. their stride. Yeah, they were big then. And you just see, like, all of these adventures. And we love this, but... I've developed a deep appreciation for the quote unquote unimportant parts of life. <laughs> the boring afternoons where I have to do the dishes. I've developed an appreciation for the parts of life that would never make it into a movie or a story, except that, be, and it's because they matter. They are part of existence, they're part of what makes us who we are and I mean they're great fodder for comedy like so much of observational comedy is just talking about the boring things no one talks about right (laughs) Right? and everyone be like Like, yeah I've done that like I think Jerry Seinfeld is like well why is ketchup like this you know you're like (laughs) yeah why is ketchup like that right why is the bottle so hard like there's so many different kinds of mustard but there's only one ketchup (laughs) why is that yeah 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 (laughs) and why I liked that part of that Morty said is he's playing he's he's it's relevant, right? It's relevant for development, but it's also relevant because it is life. Like there's just these bore. And it's just, we brought up David Foster Wallace earlier in his "This Is Water" speech. He gives examples of mundane things that like adults going have to, to the do. grocery store. He's even, like, no one tells you yeah. you have to do that. You're even gonna be tired. Grad- even graduates from prestigious universities at convocation when they're at a high will one day have to walk through the cereal aisle and have. Screaming children and angry mothers and frustrated people. And, and they'll be tired. And it's not exactly glamorous. And yet that is still the DNA of being a person. And we talk about Disney like it's those parts of love are where it comes out in the wash. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's, the, it's, it, well, it's, it's the, like keeping the... Yeah. You don't get the... Those in-between moments. You don't get the notebook moment at the end of life. Yeah. If you no. haven't made your wife fall in love mm-hmm. with you every day. It's not the grand gestures. It's no. the boring in-between moments. Yes. And the thing is, once you know that they matter, you can be more mindful about them. You can do the dishes, but thinking about stuff you're interested in. And like, maybe planning. Or... So it's, it, it puts a mindfulness into your activities in the boring moments because you realize that they're worth your time still, <laughs> I guess. I don't know how to put it better than that. So, anyway. No, that was a great insight. I'm glad you brought it up. Thanks, Morty. <laughs> are, you, right. are you the Rick in this relationship? <laughs> no, I'm, I, I was thanking oh. Morty in the notes. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know. I don't... I don't, uh, I don't I, I, our, uh, to be fair to both of us, I don't see... I don't think either of us are very much like Rick. No, no, I agree. Not ultimately. I mean, I tease you <laughs> like Rick would tease it's Morty. It's true. But you I don't, do. it's not nearly as mean spirited. No, yeah. It's, there's more of a grin at the end of it all. <laughs> yeah.
Because if I teased you and you didn't get it, it would be mean. That would be mean. The whole point of the teasing is that you get it. Yeah. And <laughs> the whole point of Rick's castigations of Morty are to make him feel lesser. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. All right. Well, maybe this is a bit of a harder topic, but I think we would be remiss to not talk about it because we talk about true stuff. In season one, Rick uses the word retarded. And and I think, doesn't and, Morty and, but say he uses, we're not allowed to say that? Yeah, Morty's like, we can't say that anymore. And the thing is, Rick uses it in the in the in the most grammatically appropriate sense where it was like the um like referring the the, the slowing of a growth so the right. growth was retarded which is just literally what it means way before it was a it was a slur for mentally challenged people morty brings up that hey rick i don't you shouldn't say that and rick's like well i used it correctly it's just what the word means and then morty says i don't think it's about logic rick <laughs> <laughs> it's a great line yeah. so this is a bigger issue than Rick and Morty, obviously, but where where do you what's your take on where we stand with our emotional Like what is our responsibility? Emotional for hijacking other by yeah. like certain words can just seem to emotionally hijack people, even if they're not used in the derogatory sense. And uh there are some words that obviously have such deep hurtfulness to them that it's kind of almost irresponsible to not be mindful of them even if you are like it's it's hard to imagine some context where it would be an appropriate use of the word but the word retarded is a good example because there is a completely non-inflammatory context of that word which is just means to slow the growth of something right you could retard the growth of a tree by not watering it yeah (laughs) right like it's, it's totally removed from the slur or the yeah, but condemnation I think you, like, part. Like uh, words don't have static meanings. I know, right? And no, so, you're right. So, but for example, I've often heard like, "Why did they take the word gay from us?" People say that, right? And it's like, what do you well, mean? Who's the us? Use, so, because that's how people often divide the world into us versus them, right? Mm. And so, people who feel like the homo- there's a homosexual agenda or something like that, <laughs> yes, like people right. who have that misconception, I would say, of reality, seeing the work that was done by the gay rights movement to attain will no longer be illegal. <laughs> like, right? They see that as some kind of like invasion into mm-hmm. their world, right? And they say, "Well, why did they take that word from us?" And I'm like, "Well, I don't think you can." Words don't belong to people. No, they don't. Words no. belong to meaning, mm-hmm. right? And we're not attached. Like the word is not sacred. No, it's the meaning that's kind of sacred, actually. Yeah, but- and so when I say they're gay now, yeah, or 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 one of my friends says I'm gay, yeah, they it's very clear what they mean. There's, sure, there's yeah. no ambigu- ambiguity there. Yeah, and in the same sense, I think retarded doesn't mean retarded anymore mm. right like I mean, the old sense of, it doesn't mean it in the old sense just like right. gay doesn't mean happy anymore well and this is why i guess it's interesting and a bit of a challenge with some words is that rick does use it in that old sense no yeah <laughs> right, right. And, 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 so, and i could say i'm you know i so, feel charming and yeah. alarming yeah. It's alar- well yeah. and i mean one of my favorite nietzsche's work is called the gay science well exactly when it's translated which just means the excited science the happy science yeah and so I guess the challenge, and this is 
interesting. This is to me this is the interesting part is I definitely think that the word shouldn't be used in the castigating or the discriminatory or the prejudicial sense. But if someone does use a word in its older sense and their intention is to use it that way, I don't think the anger is warranted. Because yeah, it's not but like that, I think the, the intent of the speaker is to me the relevant part more than the word they But use. that's the weird part is the understanding the intent of the speaker is the difficulty, right? Because you can only Sometimes. Yeah. Those are the borderline cases. I think sometimes it's not. Right. It's like some right. like this and this is what makes people hate woke culture. Yes. <laughs> right? Or outrage yeah. is that culture. It will attack anyone who violates the any word usage, yeah. regardless of context. And and it's so it, to me as a someone who likes to think, it's so insulting when you think that, oh, us as the audience of a speaker can't understand the context in which they use the word. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I guess I would put it two ways. There'd be two parts of this that I think are relevant is that there's really only one word I can think of that doesn't have a redeeming context. Uh, right. Or, or a, for- I know or, or a former, of, right? Yeah. But there are some, even the worst ones. I had some friends in Korea who were from England, and if they would smoke a cigarette in the moments they weren't, thinking about it like oh i'm gonna go smoke a fag yeah right it's like do they deserve outrage they're clearly talking about a cigarette just because it's the same sound coming out of their mouth that has is a word that has been used as a discrimination for gay people but that wasn't their intent so there's that part it's like doing your best to judge the intent of the speaker and that's actually what you hold them to not the word they use (laughs) yeah but that is and that's important i think that's not easy but it's important and it's worth going through the troubles now on the flip side of that which i think is important too the hearts and minds approach is really crucial so and i the thing is i'll say it as a caveat at the beginning i don't know for sure if this story is 100 percent historically accurate it seemed to make sense to me when i heard it and it changed my mind about this word so uh, i was listening to a podcast a number of years ago of, of all these comedians and one of the comedians was gay and they were talking they were talking kind of about this because comedians are on the forefront of what words yes, are okay to right, say, yeah, what is it, yeah. right? So they're like exploring and it's fun listening to comedians explore their craft. And they were talking about how there was a there's a couple of comedians who were saying how frustrated they were that the word faggot wasn't kosher anymore. They just couldn't say it uh, because it's such a fun word. <laughs> you know, basically it's like and it's like and the gay and the guy the comedian who's gay said, Look, okay, like I, I don't think it's bad to use, like, I'm not, I'm a comedian. I'm f- totally for free speech and free expression. I just think it's important to know the context and the background of the words you're using. And apparently, and this was the story that this comedian, this guy told, was that the reason faggot had been used as a um, slur to gay people is that in the past, like the word faggot from the, like, the old British is a bundle of yeah. sticks. Apparently in the Middle Ages, people who are caught doing homosexual activities were burned were burned on flaming faggots and so the burning sticks they were burned to death and so the name caught on is the flaming oh. faggot it was someone who we burned to death oh wow who and so that's why the slur fag or faggot had been used about gay people and the comedian who's telling the story is like look i'm not telling you what words to use I just think part of the responsibility of being a person and knowing how your presence in the world will affect other people is to know the context of where some of these words come from. And so that affected me pretty personally. I was like, well, yeah, I don't actually know how I feel about using a word that can't, like that was derived in the context that it's used uh, 
as I'll put it to you this way: growing up, the word fag was just an insult. Yeah, <laughs> right. It was like yeah. kind of like a synonym for idiot, <laughs> right? right? Or right. Uh, dumbass or something like that. But once I heard that story, I was like, ah, you know, I don't. Because the thing is, no one's like like they weren't saying here's what you should or shouldn't do. It's just know the context, and it did it affected me. I was like, I don't like that. That's kind of where that word came from. Well, the other thing that I you know, I don't like the, what the I idea li- that people were put to death for this, and that's the slur, and that's where it came from. Well, that's one thing, but you I know? think another thing is when you're calling someone a fag, you're not you're not just calling them an idiot. Right, right. You're mm-hmm. you're hinting at the right. they're probably yeah, good gay. Point. Right. Well, and, and no, no, see, that's I, the no. Weird see, I really, part. I re- no, so? no, for sure. Well, okay. Let's take um, let's take Quebecois culture. Mm. Their swear words are almost all, almost universally, right. Catholic Church relics. Mm. What? Why? Yeah. Why? Because they're well. That's their sacred cow. That, well, not only is it their sacred cow, it's the thing they're making. They're making fun of it because they kind of hate it. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Well, and they do. I mean, so I actually think it's deeper than that. I think. I think mm, th- because when be you right. called someone gay, it was an insult, not because you know, oh, being gay is weird. No, it was an insult because you were attracted to the same sex. Ah, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I, my, I just have a, I, th- I have a slightly different intuition here. Is that I think the reason why when I was a teenager, people would call each other fags is not, and when I used it, it's not because I actually thought the person I was calling a fag was gay. It was to denote to everyone that gay was bad. <laughs> and so... It was to denote that, yeah, though. That's so, what I'm yeah, saying. That's yeah, the like problem this, with it. Right now, you're being bad enough to be gay. Well, that's what I mean, and okay. that's the problem with yeah. it. Yes, exactly. Like that, Because it's yeah. literally saying that's a bad thing to yes, be. Yes, yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. That's we're, what the we're problem in is. about that. I actually think that's the problem more than this historical context mm-hmm. because, frankly, it's it's saying you're a lesser. Be- yeah. You're so. It was a high level insult. It wasn't yeah. like a, oh, a little. Yeah, but if poke. you. Th- I, I guess historically, why the story impacted me was like, okay, if you're using, like, let's say you call someone a flaming faggot in a derisive and prejudicial tone of voice, like, your intent is clearly to discriminate against them not only are you discriminating against someone who is not hurting you in any way shape or form but you are doing it in such a way that like at least is paying lip service to like it would be okay if you were burned to death for this action right or this thing about you and obviously (laughs) that is against every single one of my liberal sentiments. <laughs> I was yes, like, no, yeah. no, 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 <laughs> no, no, no. That's not good, yeah. We can't <laughs> no give the state, what, we can't give the state this power. Yeah, but or not even just the state, like just anybody. Neighbors. Right. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Like that was the way that people treated homosexuals in history. I was like, oh, now that I know that, now that I know the historicity of this word, yeah, I I feel like I don't need to use it. And I think that that's the right way to educate people on yeah, like, historical uses of words. But the problem is, Luke, you're a little bit more thoughtful than most people. And I know you want to go highest common denominator. Well, that's what like, I mean. Like, I don't think explaining that story to someone who's already prejudiced against someone is going to change their mind about being No, prejudiced. no, no. It's not. But it's... Well, but I, I think that there's a, a massive group of people in the middle who would have been like me in their teens growing up using the word fag who, if they heard that story, would be like, well... 
you know, I, I guess I don't have to anymore. And maybe, you, you know what, that is a an optimistic and probably more realistic take in a sense because, I mean, look at how fast people have just come to accept homosexuality yeah. in our generation. Well, I, mean, and th- and, and, I don't know anyone our right. age that's really that prejudicial anymore. Yeah, and think about this from a pedagogical point of view. This comedian on the podcast could have like, you bigoted assholes using the word fag all the time. Like, is that going to change any hearts and minds? Of course not. No. So it's going to harden people. They told yeah. a story, right? <laughs> Back to stories. They told a story to contextualize and say, look, here's where it is. It's up to you now. And there I, and is. I like, what a difference of approach than <laughs> outrage on Twitter. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> you know what I, I mean? I agree. Yeah. Like, that. It's a me, better approach. For that's sure. to me is wisdom. That's is wisdom. That, like, yeah. that's educational wisdom for hard topics is not making people. F- put up their defenses when they're not trying to be assholes they just maybe don't know something right right <laughs> you know okay oh geez well <laughs> it's just always more about morty we should probably talk about morty as conscience you sold a gun to a murderer so you could play a video game <laughs> right like i mean he's always saying things like that to rick but i mean a big part of that i think is that he's more more to reality than okay rick. well then do you, okay so i guess my question would be do you think morty's commitment to ethics and morality and conscience in the show does that change rick at all like no, does that you don't think it does not, any maybe a little bit but not really mm-hmm. well i think I, it changes rick is cynical and cynical people don't tend to be changed by the optimism of moral people yeah well i guess then i would just say that i like that morty doesn't lose that when he sees that rick won't change. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like he's still there saying it. He's yeah. still the voice. Yeah. He um he's it's kind of a principle for him. Cause I think that's the one th- that seems to be the one thing Morty doesn't let go of. <laughs> is that show. there's right and yeah, wrong. Yeah, it's and like you shouldn't he, do wrong. He adapts things. to the way Rick is, but he doesn't just go silent on the really terrible decisions Rick makes. I find that inspiring. Gotta keep calling out the bad. Calling yeah. it out, even if you can't do anything about it. This is the part of Hitchens that I really liked is that he was an outsider <laughs> from institutions. I mean, he was, you know, employed by magazines, but to the extent that they have power, he just kept calling it out to the best of his knowledge on ethical terms, not just on pragmatic or political, but he's like, no, I don't, you can't do this because it's inhumane. Yeah. Not, not because it's impractical. Right. No, because <laughs> right? it's wrong. Yeah. yeah. And there was something so inspiring in that representation or in that example that has really galvanized me in my life. And I think that's what I feel like I see in Morty throughout the run is that he he doesn't ever stop no. <laughs> telling Rick that, that this is still wrong, yeah. Being fucking terrible. And just a line to put a cap on his growth. I can handle it, but it will hurt mom. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That's his resiliency. Okay, I do want to talk to you a little bit about this. I know we glanced at it a bit. So it's it is that episode where summer gets <laughs> giantified and beth morty's mom really wants to fix it herself she doesn't want to call her dad rick and marty's like uh we need rick he can solve this and so the question i write down is why have ego when you need expertise so what do you think your armchair psychologist slash time spent in politics and a little bit in the business world like what is it about the ego that doesn't want somebody else who's better at something to take over a problem and is that a bad thing? I think it is, but <laughs> right. and what are some of the potential solutions 
to that mindset because Morty seems totally fine with saying, I don't know. Let's get Rick. Right. Now their relationship is different because they're family and Rick is the world's smartest person, but I'm trying to like transpose this to, I'll try to play it on the other side okay. of why you, let's go. Like if you go to a, a little child, if they want to do something, you generally let them do it because they're learning how to do that thing and they're not going right. to do it. Right. 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 right? Yeah. But if you're always going to expertise to solve your problems, you're actually ne- you, you could not become an expert by doing that. Even by even if you were like the best at watching experts do things and trying to learn from watching them do them, right. the doing of it is what, how you're going to learn how to do it. Mm. It's the repetitive action of doing those things. So I think mm-hmm. on a if, if we're going to like steel man it, mm-hmm. that would be the reason that people d- don't do want you, to. Did you get the vibe that that's what Beth was No, <laughs> no, not that. at all. And, okay. No, the reason I'm saying that is because I think there is a value in not just always calling the experts. Okay, okay. And, and learning things yourself. Yeah, that's and, fair. And doing things yourself. Why do we not want, when we're in a pickle, why don't we want help? I think is an even better question, right? Mm-hmm. There are people out there that can genuinely help us. Why do we avoid their help? Right. And I think the answer is kind of, many faceted at least in my life is Mm -hmm. the first would be because we don't want the answer Mm -hmm. what if rick's answer was well we just had to kill summer (laughs) right yeah i hadn't even thought of that (laughs) right yeah that would be pretty terrifying (laughs) or or what if the answer was look look what you've done you idiot we just had to leave summer this size forever right like part of it is that Beth doesn't want to be responsible although rick has a contraption for everything well yes so so okay within that world but like but so, A, we don't want the answer because the answer mm. terrifies us. Okay. B, we want the glory. So that's an egotism, mm-hmm. right? That's, that's I think, the one you're getting at, and that's yeah. a, a big Well, that's issue. one I noticed, I right. felt like, in that. Oh, and, and there's also all kinds of, and this is the great beauty of this show, is that it creates this, but there's all kinds of undercurrents with Summer wanting to prove to her dad that she's good enough to be mm-hmm. loved because she doesn't right. feel loved by him so that the the b it could be that but c i think not just ego but i think there's an element of a desire for control okay yeah so it's well and i you see this all the time with people it's like well if i don't do it who will do it mm-hmm. or or what if the person the expert is wrong and i let's go to vaccines okay. on this okay might as well because I think most of the anti-vaxxer crowd is actually terrified of the idea that there are things outside of their control, mm. like autism, yeah, like disease, and they have looked at the information and they've come to the conclusion that everyone else is wrong and that gives them a feeling of control and being right. right. So, so it boosts their ego. Oh, all of these idiots who think that the government and, and you know the healthcare professionals and all these people they're actually wrong right 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 and yeah. i have stumbled upon some great and momentous truth that is not only going to make the lives of the people i care about the most better but even more than that mm. it will save them yeah that's interesting so it's it kind of sounds like you think maybe this stuff is less about ego than I seem to be thinking it I is. I think there's that it is nuanced. Okay. Like the desire to not, to. I think the control thing, I think ego is like a third of it. Mm. Like I think a third of the time it's just egotistical people not right. wanting to share power. But a lot of the time I think it's either the first, they don't, like let's say for example, you find out that you, um, you're feeling really sick. Right. But you don't go to the doctor. 
mm-hmm. and you don't go to the doctor because a part of you is like, what if I really am sick? Yeah, no, that makes sense. Better to have the hope that I might not be really sick. Yeah, but I mean, of course, if you actually think about that, oh, I know, that's a terrible way to do but, it. But oh, no, I, I mean, it's a it's a psychological failing yeah. in people. But I yeah. think it it happens a well, lot more. I guess then it's interesting to see or instructive to see how Morty it, how he is in that. It's like, well, what are we doing this? Let's just get Rick. He'll know how to fix this. You <laughs> yeah, know? yeah. And maybe that's more of what the growth we're talking about of him, where he's like. <laughs> why are we not just getting Rick right now? <laughs> we even see at times Morty's like, well, I want to be in charge of the adventures because I think I could do it better and I think it'll be more fun. And then, you know... That's a good point. When yeah. he does that... I mean, again, this is the beauty of the relationship between Rick and Morty is Rick is always teaching Morty mm-hmm. that he's just wrong on yeah. so many levels. Yeah. It's so interesting how when Rick's not around, Morty does well. Yeah. <laughs> because he's, he's learned a lot of those lessons, I yeah, think. Yeah. But he's just, he still isn't not. He's Actually, the, that's an interesting. He's still the apprentice, not the master. Yeah, that's an interesting thing. Hey, everybody. Dave and I just want to take a second to say thank you for listening. Making this podcast has been a great experience, and we really appreciate all of you who choose to spend some time with us. Part of our goal is to be super open about everything we talk about on the podcast. If you have any questions, concerns, thoughts, ideas, feedback, clarifications, or praise, please send us an email at reallytruefiction at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Also, if you get your podcasts on iTunes or Spotify, don't forget to subscribe to the show so you get notified when a new episode is released. If you feel so inclined, please leave a rating or review on iTunes. That is a really good way to help new listeners find the show. And please pass the show along to anyone who you think may enjoy it. Again, thank you so much for listening, because as I'm sure you have gathered, we love talking. I thought it was really interesting in season four, as Morty becomes kind of a spokesman for Rick. <laughs> like, he's kind of understands Rick better than anyone, and starts kind of like pleading his case to people. And so he's like that. Uh, existentially vibrant person who can understand he, he he's not the genius but he can kind of get the genius and explain it to the crowds kind of thing or which is actually people. super useful like well, people i've always said in people who can interpret genius into well this parla- this parlances. was the example i wanted to bring up was of uh, thomas huxley and thomas huxley was i think he was a lawyer i'm not sure i, I think he was a lawyer anyway he was a contemporary of charles darwin and charles darwin was a very you know, as far as I know, like mild-mannered, soft-spoken, friendly, kind. So Darwin has the most inflammatory theory in the history of science and humanity, I'd say. He wasn't the best person to push it out into the world because it wasn't his constitution. But Thomas Huxley was, because Thomas Huxley was someone who was smart enough to understand the theory. He wasn't smart enough to go figure it out himself, but he was smart enough to understand it once explained to him. And then he was, he had the kind of fortitude and constitution to go be tough about it in the world while he's defending the idea into the public, right? right. And so he had the, um, he had got the nickname of uh, Darwin's bulldog, right. <laughs> which right. is such a cool, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so I, I don't know, I, I, I really love this idea of the kind of second level fighter of knowledge and fighter of truth and fighter of like maybe not the person who can be Elon Musk, but the person who can get Elon Musk once they start talking about what they're thinking about and then can defend it to the world. Yeah. You know, almost like missionaries (laughs) to a degree, right? It's (laughs) like people who learn 
and then they can go out and explain. Yeah. yeah. And I think that that's kind of the role Morty takes. And it's a good marriage of what we talked about earlier. Like, like Morty is kind of that. It's that existential strength that lets him do that. But I, I don't know. I mean, can you think of any other examples of that secondary person like to me again that's kind of what hitchens was hitchens wasn't that, a scientist i always thought that c.s lewis was definitely that for christianity because mm. he took really complex theological ideas and, and, and explained them to people yeah no, a that's very, a good that's a good i mean example. it's apologetics it's a whole portion right of let's say christian doctrine which is how do we explain mm-hmm. this to people well and i would say i mean that's a great example to me this is what journalists should be yes yeah <laughs> right? because this like is, Things are complicated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm so depressed at the level of journalism oh, today. So terrible. And just the vested interests and the kind of clear ideology possessing people as they go about it. As, as opposed to like Hitchens is my boy. Like he wasn't a scientist, but he understood science and could defend it to the public. Yeah. He wasn't a was... he wasn't a lawyer, but he understood the law well enough because he understood the philosophy of these things. So part of what Huxley did for Darwin wasn't just say hey, he studied finches, so now humans are related to apes. It was like, no, he's, here's all the evidence. Here's the process. This wasn't the goal going in to find this finding, right? No, he just right? was like trying yeah. to find things. Yeah. yeah, and so it's like having enough intelligence to understand how a genius comes up with their thoughts, even if you can't do it yourself, and then being the person. And being able to follow the process. Um, I would say a, a really good modern version of this, in a, in a slightly different way, is Joe Rogan. Yeah, Joe, 100%. Ro- Joe Rogan is super intelligent, but he, and he would admit, like he says this all himself, he talks to people way smarter than him all the time with ideas that he probably, and he would, I think he would admit this, he himself wouldn't come up with or couldn't be able to come up with, but as soon as they're explained to him, he understands them and can figure out how to defend them. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I love that about Joe Rogan. Yeah. He's a great example. Another yeah. example uh, I like is David Brooks. Yes. Yeah. I, I like think him he's a, a great interpreter of, of complex thoughts. It's an art. I admire those people. Yes, yeah. I agree. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so then last thing with Morty as a transition into Jerry is that I wanted you, I mean, and I mean, I guess this is something neither of us can talk about from personal experience, but it's pretty weird for Morty and Summer when they see their dad starting to date again after him and Beth break up. And I don't know about any of that. It's just that they were, it's so, they're just so smart and all that they're like are you just doing this to get back at mom or it's like are you trying yeah. to what are you trying to do to our feelings by all this and i guess i liked their growth there too but well they're definitely well, the mature i guess people. you and i can't really talk to this no. but about like i guess it'd be interesting to hear about it'd be interesting to hear from someone who's been through that yeah if any of if any of you listening out there have been through seeing a parent split up with your other parent and then start getting back into the dating world and how that made you feel We'd like to know about it. And maybe more like when you're young, like Morty and Summer were. It's a little different, I yeah. think, when you're an adult already. Yeah, agreed. For that kind of thing. But anyway, so I think we are sufficiently mortified. We're mortified. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Jerry Smith. Also, I just love that his last name is Smith. <laughs> yeah, it's perfect, isn't it? No offense I, to all you wonderful Smiths out there. <laughs> yeah, well, there'd be a lot of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that... I think this is in the pilot episode, but this line almost perfectly encapsulates how I think of Jerry, how I see Jerry and how I think he sees himself throughout the show. I don't so know if he sees himself. He, he, well, I think he's he's self-aware enough to talk about how weak he is sometimes. <laughs> so 
he's talking to Beth. And Beth is his wife, and Beth is a veterinarian who specializes in horses, I guess. She's a heart surgeon for right. horses. Yes, yes. But she's the best damn heart yeah, surgeon the, for horses yes, there is. is. And anyway, her assistant is this like super hunky, gorgeous, 20-something male, right? And so Jerry says, if you have an affair with that guy, I'll blow my brains out all over your naked bodies. And I was like, well, he starts out weak <laughs> and pathetic. <laughs> yeah. So I think that line but is kind of like... he's weak and pathetic. Yeah. So you talked a little bit about his myopicness before, but lay the table for us about Jerry Smith, David. Oof. Jerry Smith. <laughs> yeah. Like, I feel like Rick feels about Jerry Smith. Like, I hate him. Yeah. I don't I don't like anything about him. I, I laugh a lot about him. Like he's I, probably I, the he, funniest. He's a good. You you mentioned this in the in the Rick episode, but he's a great contrast to Rick. And yeah, that, and yeah. humor is often brought out in contrast. But like, it isn't that Rick's weak because weakness is not something that I necessarily despise. Oh, Jerry, you mean? Sorry, it's yeah. not that Jerry. Yeah, okay. It is not that Jerry's weak. Weakness isn't necessarily something I despise. There's a beauty in. And weak things, right? right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, there's a great line in Rothfuss. Well, Rothfuss wrote a book called "A, a Quiet Regard for Silent," or sorry, "A Slow Regard for Quiet Things." Okay, and like, yeah. I, yeah, there's yeah. a beauty to those things. Sure, it's that he doesn't have to be weak. Mm. Yeah, right. He like chooses it. He 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 kind of wallows in it like a pig in mud. It's just who I am. It's his identity, isn't it? 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 It's yeah. his, his identity is being this oh. mealy mouth, whiny. <laughs> oh, yay, my wife will have sex with me kind of guy. Like, there's nothing admirable about his approach to life. Yeah, not really, hey? Nothing. No. Like, he has all of the negatives of the weaknesses that we see in Morty mm-hmm. and absolutely none of the redeeming qualities. No. And I always think that the the penis episode <laughs> is a particularly revealing yeah. episode because, A, he doesn't want to be the one to make the decision. Sure. Yeah. Again, it's yeah, the same yeah, as yeah. the breakup, right? He doesn't want to be the one that's responsible for it. So he brings Beth in to say, oh, no, I, I got to have his penis because like, he needs that <laughs> yeah. validation or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then she's like, no, I'm, I'm okay with this. She's just into the prosthetics. And really, <laughs> I, I mean, and again, the beauty and the genius of Rick and Morty is that they're going into you know penis envy and they're, they're having real discussions about like masculinity and the attachment we have to yeah. our genitals and yeah, why yeah, yeah. is that. And all of these are very interesting Topics that I'm not an expert in and can't really talk about. What I, but I think I, what I can talk about is the reason that uh, Jerry's marriage is falling apart, the reason his children don't respect him, the reason that he's living this mediocre life, and that and that Rick just kind of like goes after him for being this mediocrity that's sinking its tentacles into everything, mm-hmm. is that he doesn't want to be different mm. he's he's really clung to this idea that this is who i am mm-hmm. this is what makes me me right and the rest of the universe is just gonna have to accept that like again the the simulation episode where he walks into the meeting and his his idea is shitty <laughs> and he's not and he knows it yeah right he actually knows that yeah, it's yeah, shitty. yeah but he's pumped yeah that everyone doesn't think it is well and like i think what is it it's the episode where i think it's the end of season two where he uh gets a job with the government that's yeah. taking over the earth right and and they actually paid in these pills here. he's painted those weird pills it? he says this i just got my sixth promotion this week and i still don't know what i do but like he's proud no <laughs> right? i know he's, he's so like proud. this is the best it's ever been yeah 
And that mentality, right, is I think the most disgusting mentality. So what? Is you- it's, it's, there's no self improvement. There's no desire to be better. Right. There's no des- like. It's not like he's like, well, I'm going to work on these things and become better at them. He's like the anti Morty. He's the anti Morty. So do you think that's what the show is intending for him? As a, I think archetype. obviously he plays a, a role in a comedic role. Yes. And, oh yeah, uh, definitely. And like he's he's a characterization. But I think I do think that Rick's disgust with him is often a, a prevalent part of the show. And I think that's yeah. a prevalent part of the show because I think the showrunners <laughs> are disgusted by people like that because it's not that he's dumb, right? And it's not that he's untalented, and it's not that he's. Like these are not yeah. the things that he gets attacked for. <laughs> it's that he's a whiny little bitch. Yeah, that's true. But I think and maybe this is him hijacking my brain. But Jerry to me doesn't even rise to the level of being worth my attention to dislike him. Like he's so pathetic and he so embraces his patheticness that it's boring to even point out how bad he is to a, to a degree you know like what how much degree. energy do you even want to spend on see, someone see, like that and, and that's, that's part of his ploy plan. that's part of, that's his whole ploy so he's tricking me in that but he's sense. like a disease yeah. like he seeps into everything right yeah, he gets his he tentacles is. and he and he and he he's a parasite right he lives off of other people and and he won't even be honest like yeah. i think that's the part that really bugs me is is even just to avoid the slightest amount of discomfort, yeah, he'll well, lie. It's hard to believe he even has a house in the first place. <laughs> he barely does. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, it's hard to find fault with anything you're saying. And again, I, I don't think there is really anything redeeming about Jerry, actually. Maybe humor. The thing about him is that he's the butt of the joke. He's not part of it. Yeah. And he... And you don't want to be the butt of Kind of... Wants to be the butt of a joke because that's part of his identity. So I guess it's like the kind of person who consciously wants to live off the efforts of others. Yeah, right. I, like hate I guess those that's people. yeah. I know you do. I know you do. And I consciously, I don't like them either. I guess. But do you think, like, if if people in real life are like that, could they be as forthright about it as Jerry is? For sure. In the show, like, people think I'm, they're, people I'm think taking they're advantage of you. Yeah, people think they're owed things from other people, just for existing. Yeah, but I just have a hard time believing that anyone could be like that and yet be that kind of unimpressive general. Like, he, I feel like the people that you're talking about in the real world who are like that are kind of aggressive about it. And Jerry's not aggressive. He can't. He's not even that strong. True. <laughs> like he's not True. even strong enough to be aggressive in his leechness, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, okay. He's just so dependent on pity. Yeah. I think. Yeah. He, he and he, I wonder. He thrives on pity. Pity mm-hmm. is his currency. Yeah. But I wonder, like, what would make a person like that? Okay, I agree. It's not a good kind of person to be. But look, what do you think would be some factors that might contribute to a person being like that? That we could learn from so that we can avoid them. Aff- affect the environment later on in the world. Because it's not a person I relate to at all, really. So This is hard. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Like, what could it be? Um, well, it would have to be in- involve incentives, right? So at yeah. some point, that person would have had to have, have gained a advantage by being pitied. So I think... Hmm... 
this is yeah, this is hard. I mean, Jerry is a little bit of a weird example to think of. So I'm thinking of someone like Jerry, <laughs> I guess, yeah. who the education. Uh, my guess would be someone like that has grown up in a culture of entitlement. So maybe their parents or the people around. How them, did, like, do we kinda, ever meet? Jerry's parents. Oh, we do. Yeah, in yeah. episode three, aren't they, they really rich? Uh, yeah. And then um, there's that like young guy who's sleeping with his mom, and the dad likes to watch. So <laughs> yeah, like, no, kind of a throuple. Right. Well, wait, but they're not that rich. <laughs> they're actually pretty normal. Uh, yeah, no, I don't think they're actually. I, I, yeah, I, I don't think we get the sense of why Jerry is like that. I mean, no. his parents seem a lot more impressive than him. Yeah, <laughs> and more. I mean, almost minded. anyone's impressive than him. <laughs> True. So. Fair. <laughs> But I'm thinking like the ability to cash in on pity and having no self-respect and no, not even a pretension of self-respect. Like, I don't, I don't know anyone like that. And I don't think I've ever met anybody like that. I've met people who are entitled. I've met people who play on the emotions of others. I've met people who I don't think have self-respect, but I've never met someone who has no pretension to self-respect. Who has no? Who just will say, "I actually have no respect for myself, and I'm going to throw myself at your feet for mercy, so that if anything happens to me, it's on you." Yeah, like he makes it pretty explicit in the show, and maybe that's for comedy. Maybe that's the satire of it. Is that that is actually the move that goes unspoken for people like that in the world of those kind of sh- shitty types of people? And I, again, I, I. I don't. I like. I would say a shitty person in the sense that I think that someone can change. So it's not like a, a lifelong sentence on their personality or on their values. But someone who would be like Jerry, I still have never met anyone who goes that extra step of having no pretension of self-respect either. Yeah, I don't know. I can't like, think how you'd become like that. Yeah. I mean, so kind of, so yeah. what's what do we learn? Like if the how? Because yeah, I don't know. I, I yeah. this is like a total pickle Rick to me. Where <laughs> yeah, there's pickle no. where I can't even. It's like some weird mishmash of incentives, like you say, but uh, a sense of entitlement, like the world owes me. But but the world owes but, me not because because I'm I don't want to work. Yeah, I don't want to work. I don't want to be worth it. And the thing is, it's actually on you because you know I'm not worth it. Yeah. So, yeah. This is so. I don't know. Do something Maybe it about doesn't that. Really exist. Yeah, I don't know. Like I've I've never met anyone who for whom it exists that honestly. Yeah. <laughs> like that hit yeah. that that unreserved. Well, just like is... you said, you've never met anyone like Rick. Yeah, true. I guess you can't you've never met his opposite <laughs> either. Yeah, good point. Yeah. Like someone like Jerry, irony and parody can't work on them because it's just saying what they're saying. <laughs> like the, the the joke version of them is just them. So I don't know. Maybe I brought up a point I can't solve the problem. That whole uh, yeah, this thing. is a hard one. Because uh, so I guess my synopsis would be: I actually don't think that kind of person well, can. I exist. don't think anyone's at that low of a starting point. Yeah, right. Because in real life, the people that someone like Jerry would be dependent on—Beth, Rick, his kids—it just makes no sense that they'd be at the point where they're at. Yeah. If he's like that the whole time. Yeah. Like they'd be living in a cardboard box or something, right? Yeah. I mean, that's the tension between Beth and Jerry in the show. Yeah. Is, is she's is, actually she's, pretty incredible at a lot of things. Yeah. And, and for some reason, she loves him because of his patheticness, which I think is. Well, there's that great uh, codependence <laughs> episode, right? Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Where she needs him to need her kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I, that's part of her psychology. But anyway. To me, I made the note of my my biggest frustration with Jerry. Well, 
many things frustrate me, but Jerry and you articulate them all. I think part of the thing that frustrates me the most about Jerry, and this is true about the world, is that he has no imagination. Mm-hmm. He just and mm-hmm. and I find the people without imagination to be the most difficult for me to interact with in the world. People who can only think in the practical, the now, the the litigious, the legalistic, the cover your ass, and then and then not have visions for the future, not have creative ways of dealing with problems, be very committed to hierarchies. Titles are more important than ideas for solving problems. Mm-hmm. These are the people I feel like axiomatically enable. <laughs> Unable to, Un- yeah. unable to interact with. And I mean, people in the real world would be a little bit more imposing than someone like Jerry is in life. But he he's not able to see any bigger picture, is he? No. Like, that's, again, part of the problem with him. Well, is that- how can you when, like, he's just navel-gazing all the time. Like, yeah. Like, that's the other thing I hate about him is his emotions are the most important thing to him yeah. no matter what and he just whines until someone fulfills his yeah, yeah, yeah. he's like a baby he's a know. baby he's a total baby which is why it's so funny in that one where it's the the codependency where his <laughs> where they imagine the other person and yeah jerry imagines beth to be this just like this vicious amazon mo- warrior alien lady <laughs> beth imagines him to be like a slug yeah <laughs> it's so good <laughs> So good. I do love the episode though, where he drives the Meeseeks to existential yeah, despair because he's so a great. Bad. But again, even in that episode, it's him making the shot because he cares about Beth. Yeah, so I feel like that's his. Maybe that's his redeeming. Maybe I, the, his. Maybe Morty's greatest weakness is Jessica, and Jerry's <laughs> only strength, strength is Beth. <laughs> is his feelings about her? Yeah. Because there are a few times where he's impressive in that. Because yeah, it's kind of nice how he can make his golf swing work for beth to stay alive right but that's it yeah yeah Uh, i like this nobody changed the planets it's possible to disagree in science and uh i made a note of when a scientific thing becomes uncomfortable because there's the episode where jerry well this is actually an impressive episode for jerry because he goes he complains that pluto is no longer a planet and then they go to Pluto, and he's like a he's a shill for all the elites of Pluto. Who wanted to be a planet, <laughs> yeah. and then he finally admits it's not, and he he's good for the journalists, and it's good. But then all the people hate him. Yeah. So there's something sociologically interesting about all of that episode. But that line specifically made me think it's possible to disagree in science. It's like, yeah, that's true. It's true. But I feel like this is a good example of something that's true being cynically used. They're not using it to say, "Well, we need mm-hmm. to be, we need to work harder to find truth." They're using it to say, "Well, that thing that science says so let's isn't muddy true. the waters." Yeah, right. It's not like let's find the clear water. Let's muddy all of it with this excuse. That part of scientific rhetoric frustrates me because, like, a good faith disagreement is welcome, and in fact, the engine of science <laughs> that's the thing that improves yeah. the theories right? yes. like that's yeah. that's actually how it's so important yeah it's it's crucial and so part of why it bothers me is it, it smacks of inauthenticity and underhandedness where it's like well the moment jerry had jerry gets a, a a conflict of interest right he has a vested interest in pluto being a planet because he stands to be a celebrity on pluto if he can be the person who says it is yes. right yeah and so Obviously, this is a huge problem in science is that, in a sense, the whole point of the scientific method is to do our best to remove bias, remove the human element 
of yeah. the procedure so we can actually try and figure out something about the natural world. And it's a perennial issue, right? It's a perennial problem to figure out how to do that. Because if you think about it from prestige and power, like science for the last 200, 250 years in our culture has had, I, I would claim it has had the dominant Oh, uh, I think social, I think it's pretty un- yeah. Well, at least in the West, yeah, and the well, because of the fruits, it's rendered yeah, it's improved our lives uh, manifoldly, right? And so, well, that's great, and that's why it has this. And so, I think people like Jerry, I mean, not people like Jerry because Jerry's too dumb, but people who might be cynical would grab at science, like they they use scientific language to try and get forward their agenda. <laughs> Yeah, right? I think, but I think almost everyone does that. Like, I don't think there's any but really great scientists out there for, who are truly only there for the like. Everyone is attached. To well, these in our in our current social media world, we wouldn't hear about them. No, we certainly. I don't know. I I think someone like Steven Pinker. That's well, someone I there, would put. There are there are people obviously that are like the people who are trying to solve the Kenora virus right yeah. now. They're, they're that's pure science. But right. They're not even they aren't doing that just no no it's not like just pure intellectual hedonism like rick right, might yeah. do right so could you say steven pinker has i don't like the word agenda but let's say steven pinker has a worldview of everyone that yeah. that we're living in the least violent times ever in human mm-hmm. history like in his 2011 book better angels of our nature is a 800 page tome on this thesis now, yeah, okay, sure. He's got a viewpoint, and you could pick out examples where that's not the case. He's got like over a hundred graphs. <laughs> I've never read a book with more empirical data in it right, to right. defend a point. So it's like, yeah, you can say that, but at some point, the facts are going to disagree what, with you. What would be enough data <laughs> yeah. to to justify a theory if that kind of book isn't right? Like he's got murder rates, he's got torture rates, he's for. Different countries over different... It's just... It's so chock full of empirical data yeah. that anyone can collect. It's not just Pinker collects it. Like, anyone can go find this stuff and measure it. And so for someone like me who's so... I guess in love. I, I'll put it this way. I'm in love with the idea of science done properly. And so right. when it's not, I get mad. And I also get mad when people who are doing it as best as it can be done get like well you're just like everybody else who's doing it. like that frustrates me too and that's maybe a thing about me i think that's the thing about from, you <laughs> well i just i feel like it's such it's something that's so to me the scientific method is one of the most beautiful things humans have ever been able to create i think that's just you but know? it's pretty so, normal for people to manipulate language in order to get what they want right and that's all that's happening here yeah and yeah. that's always gonna i mean it's like a christian feeling it's essentially what you're saying is you know the thing you care about the most is when it's attacked that bothers you um yeah yeah that's fair right and so part of it i agree Mm -hmm. like that sucks when things we love are attacked Mm -hmm. but i I guess what's beautiful about the like science is that you can really clearly demonstrate through sense data how that's happening and still people won't believe (laughs) it still people but i bet you some do more do and more probably, do, yeah. yeah, and that's why I like the continual pursuit of pointing it out. No, and, yeah, and and even and then I like the conscience aspect of it from Jerry, where even he is able to be like, where well, he's like, well, the evidence has proved that this is probably not him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, in South Park, when we talked about it, that's what I love about South Park is that they manage to 
satirize Dawkins and the like militant strident part of atheism. But when Mrs. Garrison is going too far in the other direction, Stan just like, we realize evolution has been pretty much proven, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, like you said, first you have to be able to mock something that yeah, you can understand. Exactly. It, yeah. I like the episode though. Okay, we've got to be fair to Jerry. I like the episode where he finds, where he's able to provide Beth with the deer that she's able to operate on and save. True. Like he does that. Well, like you said, I think that it. Like I think you're right. I think you're right. It. That's his redeeming quality. <laughs> it's the way he can figure out how to help Beth. Yeah, it's yeah. like Beth is kind of his his nor- his lodestar, his whole reason for being. <laughs> Maybe Jerry is the embodiment right. of someone whose infatuation reaches when infatuation reaches its uh, its zinth, its, you know, its <laughs> peak, right? Because he's got it. He was infatuated with her, and he even tells Morty. I was infatuated with your mom in high school, too. Mm-hmm, yeah. Right? He gets it, and then this is what he becomes. And then they're only together because she got pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> so. And he never works on himself. All he cares about is validation from her. That's the only thing he tries to get. So he, he doesn't even know himself. He's got no internal strength. Mm-hmm. Maybe. I don't know. All right. Well, I like how frivolity is useless in a fight because he's the most frivolous character. And right. So it's true. Like, Holy shit, Dad! Shut the fuck up. <laughs> Here's a perfect Jerry line: "The trick is to keep seventy percent of the cereal above the milk. You become what you pursue, Jerry. If you pursue mediocrity, you, <laughs> you will." Become. I have a joke. It's like one of the best things about having a bar so low is it's easy to get over. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have some comment cards? Because I have some thoughts. <laughs> But like an intergalactic thing. Jerry is so small potatoes. Oh, 100%. So small potatoes. He wants anything he's told he shouldn't have. So he has no savvy or like ability to understand when people are manipulating him. He's so manipulative. Oh, so easily manipulated. He can't notice when people are manipulating him. And then I I guess this line encapsulates him. Well, I couldn't hear you over my own screaming. (laughs) (laughs) So any... Well, I Other like I like that this? we did Morty and Jerry for this one mm-hmm. because honestly, I, it really highlights how to approach life, mm. right? Yeah. And Jerry has just accepted his lot, doesn't try to improve, and and utilizes manipulation to continue no time for growth to continue existing. Whereas Morty's like, no, maybe maybe I am not that great but I'm going to be better. Yeah. He he's that he perfectly encapsulated that don't compare yourself to anyone else, compare yourself to yourself yesterday. Yeah, and he and he that's like he's a lot better. Yeah. <laughs> By the end, well, I it's a show that's still going on. Noticeably improved. Yeah. And Jerry is not. Yeah. So even though Jerry and Rick are the contrasted characters for intelligence, I think Jerry and Morty are the contrasted characters for kind of presence in the world and yeah. ability to adapt and change and and develop. I think that's great. So, thank you for listening for part two, or number two, the uh, poop episode of the show. <laughs> Stay tuned. There will be a part three forthcoming where we talk about Summer Beth and then kind of the show motifs itself and some other parts and other characters. But in the meantime, thank you for listening. This has been another episode of Really True Fiction. My name is Luke Mason. And my name is David Parker. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.